Um, and good evening to those of us join, join, you join us by live stream. Um, glad to have you with us. This is our last in our series on spiritual depression that we started about, I think, four weeks ago or something like that. Um, yeah, and this is our, well, this is our fifth week anyway. Uh, and um, tonight we're looking at a subject of titled Growing Tired. So um, let me read from the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, Galatians 6, 1 to 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word of God share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh or from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. All right, let me lead us in the word of uh, prayer and then we'll uh, go into our, our last study for tonight. Let us pray. Our blessed God and our Holy Father, we thank you for uh, tonight. Thank you for the privilege we have to gather with your people again and to, to hear your word. Um, thank you for how your, 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 your words and the scriptures and teaching of the scriptures reminds us of what matters the most. We know just how much even just today alone, we have got our priorities mixed up. We have, at points, placed those things which are visible <clears throat> above the invisible. We have walked by um, sight, maybe, and not by faith. Have mercy on us. Forgive us. Um, these eyes of faith by which we have beheld the wondrous cross of Jesus, help us um, to remember that and help us to rejoice in uh, that gift and to rejoice in Christ alone. And while we pray that that would be the end of this study tonight, um, that it would lead us to uh, re realizing the joy that there is in Jesus, pursuing it, receiving it, resting in it. Uh, so bless our study tonight. Help me to teach faithfully. Um, <clears throat> help me to uh, be able to explain uh, your word, Lord, to your people. And uh, may our hearts receive it as the Holy Spirit directs that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> oh man, okay. Uh, so yeah, I was saying this is the, the last in our series on spiritual depression. So any questions that you have, uh, not just, I guess, if you want, not necessarily just directed at the um, subject for tonight, but maybe in general, anything you've thought through on the series uh, would be worthwhile, you know, sending it in tonight and um, asking those questions for those of you here, those of you at home, and hopefully uh, we can... 
uh, get some good answers from the scriptures. Um, and that, that, that would mean we don't have a Bible study. Our next Bible study will start on the 15th of March, I believe, if that's a Tuesday, it's the 15th of March. And we, we're doing a series, start a series then in uh, anticipation, if you want, of, uh, of, uh, of Easter, of Good Friday, to be precise. Um, a series, I think, is going to be titled uh, Why Did Jesus Die? So uh, looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, we're going to close the series on spiritual depression uh, tonight. Um, <clears throat> I'm hoping that I will, my voice will make it till the end. Um, so yeah, let me let me I have to I have to rush quickly so that I, I, t- I get all the information out. But um, yeah, so we've been looking through this <clears throat> over the last few weeks. Uh, spiritual depression, of course, as I've said over and over again, uh, backed if you want by the um, the work of the the writing sermons of, of Martin Lloyd Jones, Lloyd Jones' book Spiritual Depression. So, um, yeah, again, let me commend that to you as we bring the series to an end. Helpful book to read um, for everyone, really. You know, obviously, yes, it would be uh, particularly have particular particular application for Christians who are uh, struggling in their faith, uh, who are struggling to find joy in the faith, who feel low, if you want, spiritually. Um, yes, but just for every, regardless of where you are in your walk, I think it's a, it's a, it's a challenging, helpful reminders of, of the nature of the spiritual life, the, 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 the priority of the, of the spiritual life. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's, those are helpful reminders uh, for us so that we can continue to pursue what matters the most, you know? So, yeah, commend uh, Lloyd Jones' spiritual depression to you, uh, for you to read and so on after this. But, yeah, we, we, we've been looking at, at that, and uh, the method has been simply to um, highlight some of the cases of spiritual depression, you know? So Lloyd-Jones approaches this subject, as it were, Martin Lloyd-Jones approaches this as like a like a, you know, a spiritual doctor type thing, you know, like um, Jesus Christ is our physician and um, <clears throat> he, he, he knows our, our various spiritual uh, ailments or sicknesses and he, he has the right remedy application or, or medication for them, if you will. And so we've highlighted a few cases of spiritual depression and then thought through um, what the biblical remedies are, the things that faith has to... Um, to lay hold of so that it can uh, receive uh, the, the strength that God has provided for, for his people. <clears throat> um, and yeah, so, and then, yeah, at the end of this, 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 after looking at this case, I'll draw together some important conclusions. So like some of the major, the main takeaways, I think, from our series in the past weeks or so that you, things that you ought to hold on to as far as dealing with spiritual lowness is concerned and helpful, helpful counsel. Um, but yeah, this, this last case then, uh, I've titled Growing Tired. So uh, Lloyd-Jones, from taking his kind of springboard, if you want, from Galatians 6. So I read Galatians 6, the first 10 verses earlier, and Lloyd-Jones takes <clears throat> that verse in uh, that sentence in verse 9 let us not grow weary of doing good 
And, um, well, taking that, he takes the whole verse, really. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. He takes that as a springboard to speak about cases of Christians who, um, who are going through spiritual depression because they are, if you want, growing tired. They're growing weary. Um, so he, he speaks about how Paul is writes to the Galatians church and encourages them not to grow tired. Of course, Paul has a, a particular specific aim, a specific issue that he deals with, you know. Um, don't grow tired in, in doing good. Um, and and, and Lloyd-Jones sees in that the temptation, these, the situation, the circumstances, some Christians might find, can find themselves, believers can find themselves, where they are feeling tired, they're feeling like they... Um, they're just not getting the same, they don't have the same energy, the same uh, desire that they used to. So uh, put a quote from Lloyd-Jones there, that what happens is that people just become weary and tired while still going in the right direction. So Lloyd-Jones speaks of a situation where there's no significant, he's saying, there's, listen, there's no necessarily a significant sin that they've, that, that's, that's caused this um, uh, there's maybe not a big, not a big thing that's happened necessarily, uh, but there's just a sense in which you've, you've, you're growing tired, right? You're, you're just growing tired. You're not. It you, you just doesn't feel like you're getting the same joy like you used to, and, and it's just because of the sense that your energy sapped. And he says that's that's something that makes folks that 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 can bring folks into a state of spiritual depression. Now, yeah, just a bit more about that case, um, about that situation. Lloyd-Jones speaks about the, uh, what he calls the, the middle period. So he's almost, he's comparing it almost to a kind of like midlife crisis type thing. And so he's saying like many times, it, so he, he, the example he, he, um, he, he uses often is the example of folks in, in their careers and, in in, you know, someone pursuing a career and, Usually, let's say they, it's something they thought they had a passion for, or that they were excited to, um, to embark upon. You know, they start with just a lot of freshness and energy and this feeling of being invigorated and so on and so forth. Um, he says, but you can get to, people get to a point in their careers where they just are no longer finding the same sense of fulfillment from it. There's no joy in it. Um, there's a lack of enthusiasm for this. Um, and uh, it's like, you know, they're, they're kind of like at a standstill, they plateau, there's not like a, they, there's not a great sense of development anymore. It's like, how, further, how much further can I go in this? Um, and he says, he compares that to this, uh, this stage that he's talking about in the Christian life, this stage where someone may uh, start to feel like, they, they can compare periods in their Christian life and they can start to feel like they just don't have the same enthusiasm that they use for the same energy. And Christianity doesn't seem to be thrilling them the way it once did. And, you know, they're just in this state where they've just kind of just grown tired. Uh, they, they feel like. Um, and he says sometimes this tired, tiredness is, um, is made worse by things that others do to us, right? So... Um, is compounded. We're already feeling like exasperated, and then we may, we might in that in that space that we're in, we might then have to, um, you know, face a feeling of 
disappointment or be disappointed by, you know, other Christians. And, you know, we all have to come face to face. We all experience, of course, we all experience the fallenness, the, the weakness of the church because we all contribute to it anyhow. Um, and then, yeah, but, but very often sometimes that can happen. You're already feeling a bit tired about the Christian walk, as it were. And then um, someone you know, in church does something to you, says something to you, the church treats you in a way that, that just compounds that feeling that you have, that, you know, I'm just, I just don't have the strength to, to keep going. I don't have the energy. Um, I'm, 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 I'm losing my, my, my zest and zeal. So, um, as Lloyd-Jones says, we become accustomed to the Christian life. No longer are we surprised at things as we were at the beginning, so that all that thrill of a new discovery which animated us in the early stages suddenly seems to have gone. And I guess that can especially be the case because, I mean, especially if you, if you come into the Christian faith and your initial experience of Christianity is like a, is a very um, energetic one, if you want you know, a very zealous one. You know, for example, you, you, come to, you, you become a Christian in a youth group where a lot of the other young people are on fire for Jesus Christ. And you capture that same, you, 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 you meet with the same Christ they've met with, and there's a lot of just fresh zeal and passion. And especially with younger people, of course, younger people have more time on their hands they have more energy. They, they can be sometimes more like uh, addictive, addicted to things, to new things, you know. Remember, both used to call them so Jesus addict, you know, because like they can commit themselves to something, this newfound, this wonder of the gospel. Especially when you come, you know, you come into the faith like that um, and there's a buzz almost. If years down the line, that same sense of energy doesn't uh, exist for, for various reasons, you know. Um, we move churches, um, youth groups notoriously don't quite last, do they? Because youth, the youth don't stay youth, they become adults. Um, people fall away. That kind of experience can, 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 can start to, yeah, to just drain you, you, you don't feel as excited as you used to. And um, yeah, so the sense of just being tired and all, and all of that, uh, Lloyd-Jones says, is something that can be very real and that can make us feel, um, make, uh, make us uh, find ourselves in a, in a state of spiritual depression. However, <clears throat> uh, what then, how are, we to, how are we to deal with that? How do you, how do you deal with that feeling of, of, of knowing that you're just tired? You don't seem to, you just don't have the same energy, you don't have the same excitement. Um, how do you deal with that feeling of coming into church and, and knowing that things have become rote, like uh, uh, routine? There's, there's not that freshness doesn't exist, you're not the same joy doesn't exist as it were. First thing uh, Lloyd-Jones suggests is, listen, there's a, there's a list of don'ts, things that you just have to say to yourself that you're not going to do. So when you sit down and you're assessing your own just, just your spiritual life, and you feel, as I say, that that there's a, you're in a place where you're a bit just tired, um, and that's what's made you feel low. What are the things that you must not do? Um, 
for, and the first thing is you, you must not give up. He says you don't give up. So um, he he phrased it more as as don't 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 listen to the voices, and that's your voice particularly that's saying to you, there's no point in going on, right? Um, so, so we come to a place where we're tired, where we're not seeing the glory of Christianity as we used as we as we used to. You can be sure that Satan's going to be somewhere around the corner, suggesting to us that we might as well just pack it all in. Like just just give it up. What's the point of forging forging ahead, of going on? And Lord John says, on a negative sense, instantly you must commit. You must. Uh, you must commit yourself to not giving up. You know, you can't turn back. Um, you don't turn back in the Christian faith. It's not, uh, there's, there's only one way to, to run the Christian race faithfully, and it's to keep on going. It's not like people can get to, people can get to, one, it's not like someone can get to heaven at the end of the day, stand before God and say, you know, I did run well. I, you know, look at my highlights. Look how I started. I did start well, so... Um, you know, it's just that I, went, I got to a, a, a point where I got tired and that's why I stopped. You know, like in, in sports, in, in many sports, they have like what you call a Hall of Fame. So that's like a Hall of Fame is, is, a, is, is a, a list of, is a list of the greatest players to, or greatest athletes to participate in that sport. So let's say the sport is like a basketball Hall of Fame. You'd have all the people that contributed the most to that sport, you know, playing wise. And their names are enshrined in this list. And, um, but sometimes when you look at the careers of these players, some of them, they started really great. You know, maybe they start off, they're fantastic, they're amazing. They, you know, and so they, they, they start off well, but then they, then they fall off. You know? Uh, you know, it might be the first 10 years or something of their, of their sport life was great. But then maybe later on, they lose discipline and the end of their career is, is a car crash. Um, and years down the line, when this Hall of Fame is being recognized, those players will still be recognized. They, they, people, they say, listen, they contributed so much to the first, they contributed so much to the sport in their first 10 years that we can overlook the last 10 that weren't so great or whatever. That happens in sports. That's not the kind of race that the Christian race is. You don't get, if you want credit, for uh, beginning well. Right? The Christian race is something that is about those who endure to the end are the ones who are good soldiers of Jesus Christ. So the one thing you must be quick to resist um, allowing Satan to convince you of is that if you just give up and go back to your old life, go back to your sin. Um, you know, this, this is not like how people treat their jobs, you know, in a certain job. Uh, career and you're just not feeling the job anymore you just and straight away now you're looking for other jobs you know you're applying because you're just not enjoying it anymore it's not that kind of thing um the the consequences are devastating it's more like a, a, a marriage almost but you know even more so again not like people treat marriage today some folks they get bored they get bored of a marriage and they're ready to walk out but as the bible tells us you know christian marriages for life are better for worse and the consequences of, of breaking your commitment in a marriage are devastating, or the consequences of, of breaking your, your, your commitment to, to God in Christianity is even more devastating. Eternal ramifications. So, 
You don't give up. But also, you don't do what Milo Jones says is not simply, it is even the more likelier thing that Christians do. Many Christians are still knowing that at the end of the day, Christ determines what happens with your eternity. Many folks don't actually say that, you know, that I'm going to just give up. What most people do is this other thing, which is they just say, but this is what, I'm go- what is going to be for me now then. You know, they just resign themselves to this state where there's no joy, there's no wonder, right? So they look at their Christian life and they say, yeah, nowadays I'm, there's no... There's no burning desire to see the lost uh, saved. There's no, like, um, I'm not, like, there's no fresh thrill at seeing the people of God. I don't, like, go to church anymore and feel like, ah, yeah, this is the house of, these are my people, these are my family. I mean, I don't feel like being with God. I don't feel that sense of heaven on earth. They say that, uh, they say, I don't feel that anymore. You know, I used to, when I first became a Christian, I used to have all of that, but I don't feel it anymore. But that's fine. I'll just get on with it. At least, you know, I've not, um, not totally um, abandoned Christianity. At least I'm not, you know, I'm not living in any kind of serious, scandalous sin. Um, I'm just going to, I'll just go on with other things. And so they resign themselves to this state of, of still feeling a sense of not being fulfilled, not being this state of weariness and being tired. Um, I just have to put up with that. And, and that's, Lord Jesus, that's not something to do either. And ultimately it's because God's desire is, God's desire is for us to have joy in him. Um, it's God's desire is for us to be learning, to be growing in our knowledge of Christ. And if we're growing in our knowledge of Christ, a genuine knowledge, you know, very often in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of knowledge, it's, 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 a lot, it's more than maybe our modern, our typical modern um, uh, uh, definition or understanding of knowledge. You know, in the Bible, uh, knowledge is, is about intimacy. To know someone is, is more than just to have facts about them, but to be acquainted and to be intimate with, um, to be close to. So uh, you, you, can't, you don't resign yourself to living in a state where you just have all these facts swirling in your head, but there's no intimate connection. This is another thing you don't do. In a sense, you, you resign yourself, you, you, com- you resolve to pursue this joy of knowing Jesus, to get out of this state. And then he's, the other thing he says is don't a- accept artificial stimulants. And his illustration for this is, uh, he says sometimes you see folks again in, in if you in the work workspace in the in, who are in the careers that maybe there's a lot of pressure now in the career or as I said they don't feel like they're being fulfilled anymore, and he gives the example of someone who then starts to try to find the strength to be excited about their work by giving themselves to alcohol or drugs or something. They're looking for something to just stimulate them that will numb, you know, numb the pain, the, numb that sense of um, unfulfillment that they're going through, that they're feeling. Uh, and he says sometimes in the spiritual life, Christians can do the same. They're not, 
There's no joy in Christ as they ought as they ought to be. They're not. They don't. They don't. They don't find that same energy and excitement as they used to for the things of the Lord. And so now, they're looking for artificial things to stimulate them. They start to add things, um, activities, to their lives that don't actually prove that they're. There's a deep knowledge of the Lord. Don't actually prove that they're walking closely with the Lord. They're just a way to avoid having to face up to the fact that I feel far. Right? So just running after new thing after new thing, you know. And as Christians, we often do that. We, we start to feel like we're tired or that we're not as yeah, energetic as we used to. And we think that the solution is to add a new, like, a new thing, a new idea just to add this new idea, and that's what's going to fix it. And, and Lloyd-Jones says, we be careful not to be seeking artificial stimulants, as if artificial stimuli. Because um, what you want is not more activity. It's not about being busier. What you want is, is to know the, 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 the Lord renewing your strength. You want to get strength from the Lord. Right. <clears throat> so... As far as dealing with this case of growing tired spiritually, that's what you don't do, right? That's what you don't do. You don't give up. Don't simply resign yourself to accepting these this things as they are. You don't seek artificial solution, artificial stimulants. What do you do? What can you give yourself to? So the first big thing that you do, Lloyd Jones gives a lot of attention to this, is, is you examine yourself, self-examination. Right, um, and, and this is uh, this is a a a, uh, a feature of this this series and the teachings on this series that I think is is just very very helpful. Um, is 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 the and I'll say this at the end anyway, but is the is the encouragement that Lord Jones constantly gives to just being, if you want, honest with ourselves about where we are in our spiritual lives. And that's partially what self-examination is. You know, rather than ignore it because you don't want to ask the hard questions, you don't, or you don't want to have to face up to the kind of like brutal truth. But what happens in that case is you continue in deceit, self-deceit, and also you're unable to get to the root of issues so that you can't, you're unable to get to the solution. It'd be like someone you know, uh, having a, a symptom of a disease type thing, or you know, they uh, and and they they find a uh, they, they 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 find changes to their body that they know are not uh, they're not normal, they're unusual, and they know this means I should go and get checked, but because they don't want to find out the the the, the truth or diagnosis, they say, I'm not going to go and get checked, right? But what happens is maybe they don't capture or deal with an issue that could have been dealt with early on. Or, you know, they, they allow the, the, the disease to, to grow stronger. Or they, they don't afford themselves the peace of mind they would have just by being able to have found out, oh, it's nothing, right? Um, so, <clears throat> the same thing here when we don't examine ourselves is like we don't receive <clears throat> the remedy that God has for us if we don't go and examine ourselves. So we have to examine ourselves. And, and that starts by acknowledging that I'm feeling tired, I'm growing tired, I'm, I'm lacking, I'm lacking this. Sometimes we don't do it, I mean, 
You, you think of a church leader, right? A church leader is going to find it, can find it hard to do that <clears throat> because subconsciously, if you want, the, the church leader might be aware that he, he or she he feels, they feel weak, that they're growing tired. But if I confess it, what does that mean for me being able to continue doing ministry? Or, uh, how can I continue to encourage people? Who's going to be there for me type thing? Uh, so, important to examine. It is important to make sure that we're asking, saying the right thing. Uh, we, sometimes we're ashamed. We don't want people to know this about us. People think of us a certain way. We don't want to appear weak. But in a matter of spiritual issues, spiritual matters, we can't afford to care about what people think. <clears throat> or at least make that the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the thing by, that which rules our lives or anything. So we sit down and we say, why am I tired? So, it, but I'm saying, <clears throat> I'm saying actually, there's, a, there's a, even a, pre, uh, a prior act of admitting that we are tired. I feel tired. Why am I tired? Right? I'm not, I feel like I'm not rejoicing like I used to. I feel like I'm just tired of going on. Like I feel that tiredness. Why am I tired? What is the cause? And so... It's important to ask that and prayerfully we try and see what the reason is. And, and God, God guides us. God gives us his Holy Spirit. Obviously, there could be a number of reasons. Um, I'm literally listing off the ones that Lloyd-Jones suggests. So one, he says, it could be a, <clears throat> a physical tiredness. He says, he said, you know, we, we might just be actually tired. And this, very, this often happens when maybe we've been using our energy in other ways. And we're not conserving our energy. And obviously, we, we, we actually live in a, we, we can, society doesn't often, Encourage rest as it ought to. You know, you have to be careful with the world. There's helpful things that are said about rest, but then sometimes, you know, rest becomes idolatry and, you know, idolizing everything, self-care, a soft life, all of it. And then, but not encouraging sacrifice. That's the problem. That's a problem. So you have to take the good and the bad. But on the other hand, you can have, we can have folks who are working too hard and you, you need you might need a, you know you might need some a, 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 a sound sermon on soft life and soft care and self care right so it's about making sure that but but here's the point though one reason you see this is a good reason not to overwork right so that you can so that you don't feel tired of in the Christian race, you don't feel tired of serving God's people. Um, so we, we must not, we must not underestimate the overlap, the relationship, the interlink between our bodies and our souls and how our bodies feel. You know, say for example, someone that wants to uh, maintain a healthy prayer life. You know, they, they just they realize this. I want to be more disciplined. If they're not, it's going to factor in like how you and when you sleep. You're going to have to factor that in. You know, if you start saying, okay, I want to start praying 4 a.m., but you always go to bed at 2. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, some people are, okay, some people are superheroes, but one or two things will happen. Either you don't wake up for your prayer. Some of you are scared. I'm not saying you have to pray at 4 a.m., I'm just giving an example. Either you don't wake up for your prayers at 4 a.m., or when you do wake up, you don't pray. You spend 30 minutes of it sleeping. Uh, you know, so you can't over, um, you can't underestimate that connection. And we have to be, probably, we need to emphasize that more 
the need that we have to appreciate the relationship between those two things. So yeah, physical tiredness can often be a cause. And maybe sometimes we just need some rest. You know, we just need to be away from stress. And that can happen. But other, another reason why we might be growing tired, Lloyd-Jones says, is because we rely on carnal energy. Uh, to quote him, we may have been doing it all in our own strength instead of working in the power of the Spirit. My bad. And that's so, that's so important to remember that we can't do this thing in our own strength. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, if the ways by, the way I, by which I... So, so, so listen, you, you, you go to a church, and ch- your church is, church is also a place where sinners gather, right? So there's, you know, even though we're saved and we are being made like Christ and we're sanctified absolutely, we're still also sinners and we still have our flaws. And imagine when people come together like that, you know, the reason why most of you, can have, you can make it in your families as maybe some of you do, is because you've lived with those people for so long, thankfully, and you've learned to ignore, cover up, excuse, avoid people's flaws and weaknesses. Very often when we come to churches, we haven't lived with these people all our lives. Even if you've been in your church for 10, 15 years, you know, that's not really all your life, it's a long time, and you develop new relationships and so on. And you're living with sinners, and it can be, it can be difficult, it can be tough. And yet the Lord calls you to love those people, right? To sacrifice for those people. But let's just say when you started going to your church, you, you went to this church because of its demographic and its um, there's this, this kind of social status, the social class of the church. So education-wise, financially speaking, culturally speaking, they're very kind of similar to you. And so the, you go to that church, and when you get there, you easily begin to just bond with these people and blend with them. And let's say that's the, the grounds for which you say, I love my church, or I love the people, or I love this community. That's carnal energy. If that's the grounds upon which you intend to love these people for the rest of your lives, it's carnal energy. And when something happens, when, when, that, when that's tested, it'll be exposed because I don't care what demographic the people are, what social class, they are, sin don't know social class, right? Sin doesn't know uh, culture, there's deeper things. And you see, and that's what happens. So now, now something happens and you're called to forgive. Something happens and you're called to be patient. Something happens and you're called to be gracious. But because you've been writing so much on carnal energy where all you're thinking of is you relate to this person according to how you, you usually vibe, that's all you very, we vibe so well, that's all, you, that's all you judge, that's how you treat the brethren in the church, according to how you vibe so well. But now you need spiritual energy. You need the Spirit's power, right? You need the Holy Spirit to remind you, nah, 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 regardless of how they addressed you there, what they said or what they did, that's still your, that's your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, that's someone that Christ died for. You have to be patient with them. You have to love them. But that takes the Spirit's power. Of course, that's one example. You can apply that to so many areas of the Christian life. And we might, get, we might be getting tired, Lloyd-Jones says, because we're depending on carnal energy. And we need to be reminded, no, I must seek the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We might be getting tired because all we've done with that situation is talk about it. We haven't prayed about it. As, as um, that hymn says, um, when, like when, when you come to, the hymn is called, uh, What Various Hindrances We Meet, that's the first line, in coming to the mercy seat. So, uh, and then one, one, one verse says, um, do, you, do you basically claim to have no words? And the verse says, oh, think again, because I know words flow, I can't remember the word, but words flow um, when you're complaining to your fellow creature, right? So you, when it comes to prayer, you say you don't have words. Well, how come when it comes to complaining about something, you have loads of words? Um, and, and then the next line says, next stanza says something like, you know, if only half that time we spent complaining to people was spent speaking to the Lord, you know, how, how much better things would be for us. How, 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 um, um, uh, some, um, what's the word? Uh, um, I'm summarizing or whatever it's called. But basically, we need, to, we need to rely on spiritual energy to do the Christian life. And sometimes God allows us to come into this place of feeling tired so that we can be humble to see we have no power of our own. It's those who wait on the Lord who have their strengths renewed. So if you're feeling tired, make sure that it's not because you haven't been relying on God's power and you're relying on your own. Another thing he says might be the we, might, we examine ourselves and we may find to be the cause of our weariness is that we have the wrong <clears throat> motivation. Do we have the wrong motivation? Um, have I been doing, have I been involving myself in Christian activity, serving God's people, preaching, whatever I do in the church? Have I been involving myself in that, but for the wrong, from the wrong motive? Have my motivation has been pure. And Lloyd-Jones says, it's a terrible question because it may be the first time we've ever asked it. You know, we can become so used to doing something that we just assume that our motives are pure. Right? Take... Uh, somebody who is a choir, they're in a choir, right? And they, 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 they come, they've been doing, they've been in a choir for years. And they're known to be, you know, they worship, they love to lead, lead worship, they love worshiping the Lord. Um, you can become so, so, so think of it, this is activity, these are things you do. No one can necessarily see your motivation. Sometimes we can question, but we can't see it. So when you come to church on Sunday, and let's say you're always on time, you're always committed to singing, you lift up your hands when you sing, all of that. It's easy for both you and us, of course, to assume that your motivation is pure. But, then you, if you're motiva- but your motivation might be, <clears throat> might be human applause. Uh, your motivation can be a love for the stage, a love for the lights. And we can go for so long in something and never ask ourselves what our motivation is. And sometimes if you start to grow tired in the Christian walk, we need to stop and say, what's been my motivation? Have I been doing this for self? Or have I been doing this for the glory of God? Sometimes we grow tired of things when we're doing it for self. You know, imagine you're doing a, a labor, whatever work you're doing in a church, you're doing a labor in church, and you just feel like you're not getting enough recognition, enough gratitude, or you just don't think people are appreciating you enough. And all of a sudden, you start to lose 
uh, you start to feel weary. You start, you start to feel dissatisfied. And you have to stop and say, why am I, why, why am I so overwhelmed? Why am I so bothered by, by people's responses to this? Why, why, why so much? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place for making sure. There's a place for, you know, the church should never be an ungrateful place where there's ungratefulness. But why am I so bothered by what people? It might be because my motivation has always been, I've always only thought about one motivation, self. I haven't been motivated by a love for the glory of God, where I can even say, who cares who sees me or doesn't see me? God sees me, right? So our motivation might be a reason. We might search our hearts, make sure that we are, there's a pure conscience. Do we, am I motivated? Is my motivation pure? Do I know what my motivation should be? It should be the glory of Jesus Christ and his glory alone. Um, and then the other thing he says is that we might be, he says we might be living on, on this activity. So basically, Lloyd-Jones says, instead of being God's work, <clears throat> this work has been the mainspring of my life. So he's saying sometimes Christians grow tired because they're allowing their identity to be tied up with what they're doing. I guess, I guess a preacher might be a wonderful example, a helpful example. You know, preaching is such a, a high calling, such a spiritual job, a spiritual effort. That, and, and think of it, week after week, a, a preacher is proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the love of Jesus. He may also be counseling people about the gospel. And he, he, a preacher could do this so much that he becomes, uh, he, he allows himself to feel like uh, preaching is his identity. And he begins to find his, um, his sense of worth in his preaching. Even if the preacher is proclaiming that Jesus is the only one who can give us a sense of worth. You, you, he might begin to think that preaching is something so sacred, so holy, that it's okay to find, yourself, find your identity in that vocation. But when it's all said and done, that preacher is going to find that nothing can sustain us in this life. Not even the high calling of preaching, like uh, apart from God. Only God can truly give us that sense of worth and identity. And that per a person in that situation is bound to start to feel tired when they start to see that um, uh, just being a preacher, as glorious a thing as preaching can be, uh, it doesn't satisfy. Not even preaching can satisfy. Christ satisfies, but not even preaching in and of itself. Uh, it can't satisfy. How can it satisfy, for example, when the preacher starts to find that they can't live up to their preaching? How can it satisfy when um, the preacher starts to see that uh, preaching is only for a season, right? What happens if the preacher loses their voice? How can it satisfy when there's trouble in the church? Even, in, do, even with all your preaching, there's trouble in the church. You, start to find, you cannot find your identity in your activity. And that can cut across anything that we're doing for the Lord in our Christian work. We must not find our identity in, in those things. Um, these things must not become um, the things we find our worth in. And, you know, again, if you're engaged in any kind of Christian work and ministry, this temptation is there. You know, you're engaged in a wonderful kind of evangelistic ministry where you're bringing so many people to Christ through what you do or you're, you're engaging with unbelievers from all walks of life. And before you know it, you start to find your identity in this task, how you're feeding 
the poor or how you're helping the homeless or how you interact with the lowest class of life. And you start to, this begins to be your life. But the, even that wonderful activity is not Christ. And even those wonderful activities will not satisfy. Um, they won't give you a sense of worth. Uh, they won't give you a sense of worth because when all is said and done, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, we, we feel our worthlessness. No matter how good the works we do are, we feel our worth. The only thing that can give us worth, true, a true sense of worth, is the knowledge that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. So, self-examination is a big thing. Um, but other things as well that Lloyd-Jones suggests. So rather than grow tired, what we ought to do is a number of things. One, he says, recognize that there are phases in the Christian life. It's something that, it's, it's, I just thought it was a helpful, uh, helpful thing to, to indicate. He says, sometimes Christians have to just realize there are phases. It's worthwhile knowing there are phases in the Christian life. So, and, and he's saying more, he's saying this more to those who might feel like they don't have the same energy that they did when they came into the Christian faith as they do now. So he gives an example and he says, if you see a, a little child walking through a door with their parent and that little child is coming, he's jumping, you know, everywhere, screaming, rolling back and forth. You know, the, the, the parent can't control the child. The parent, on the other hand, walks, maybe not trudging along, but far more calmly, even slowly if you want. You might, on the face of it, think that child has way more energy than the parent. But it's not actually true, right? The child that doesn't, children don't have more energy than the parents, even though it can look like it. But they actually don't. They not in those small bodies. They don't. The, the, an older person just knows that there's a way to use that energy. I mean, some of you, do, some of you still come in through those doors like that. But generally speaking, the older person just knows that you know you, you can't just walk everywhere like that. You can't jump everywhere, and there's a way to to use your energy. And he says, listen, it can be the same thing for in the Christian life, in the sense where, yes, when you first come into the Christian life your introduction to these fresh doctrines means that you appear, you, you're, you're more zealous, you are, I'm not saying you appear more zealous, but there's a lot of zeal, there's a lot of energy. But it might just be that you're in a phase of your Christian life where you know how best to use that energy, how best to channel energy. A good example that I would use, or personally speaking, is when I first came across the, um, the, the what's called the five points of Calvinism, and the doctrines of grace. And when I first came across the five doctrines of grace, somehow, People all over, at least in the circles I was in, were coming across these doctrines as well. And everywhere I went, there was a debate. And for a long time, I lived my life just to be involved in those debates, talking about the, um, the, the, uh, the sovereignty of God and how God is sovereign over salvation. And I, I seem to spend every day doing it. And I know that, I mean, I remember, I mean a number of times in the past few years, I've contrasted those points in my life. I'm like, I'm not the same person. I don't really... I don't really uh, I don't, I don't feel the same way for, for like those doctrines like I used to. Like I don't respond the same way to them. I don't, I don't run around trying to find arguments to people for it or whatever. Like I'm not always talking about every single minute like I used to. And, but I realized actually it's because I'm, I'm more mature. It's not because I have less energy. It's because just my energy, my energy is 
far more properly channeled now, right? I, I don't need to beat you over the head with my knowledge of Calvinism. Neither do I feel like Calvinism, the strength of Calvinism is purely, or reformed teaching in that sense, is in my ability to debate you. Now I know, actually, no, like it's, ultimately it's a spirit that opens our eyes. And there's a, and also there's a, there, you know, for example, there's a far more important to stress that the Bible is true than say Calvinism is true and far more important to acknowledge the things that unite Christians, even Christians that don't agree on that issue than the things that divide them and so on and so forth. So there's not necessarily a lack of energy, it's just energy more properly, maturely channeled. And you have to be careful that that's, what's, if that's, that that's not what's going on in your Christian life, that you actually you're just in a different phase um, and you're, you're learning to use your energy in a more mature way. Um, but not just that, he said, another thing to think of, though, when you, if you're in that position where you feel like you're growing tired, is, he says, you, you ask yourself, what is your Christian life? And in that question, he's asking in response to um, Paul saying in verse 9 of Galatians 6, that we're not to grow weary of doing good, right? The, he's, he uses the KJV translation, which is well-doing. And well, basically, he says, listen, Look at this. The Christian life is a life of doing good. All right? Um, he says, as you, as you see, that the Christian life alone is worthy of the name life. And so when you're tempted, he's saying, to, to grow tired of this, just remember what exactly you have. You have the only life where there is true good. How could you grow tired of doing that? How could you grow tired of, you know, the way the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us so that we live a life that is pure, that is good, that is only, the only kind of life that is truly good, the best kind of life to live. There's only one life like that, and that's the Christian life. I know when folks fly on holidays and stuff, they're saying they're living their best life. Um, but if that's your best life, then... Um, if that's your best life, then we can only feel sorry for you. The best life is, is not ultimately, if the day I'm in a private jail, the day I'm in my, my holiday location of choice, the best life is a life lived uh, for the glory of Jesus, right, to please him. That's, that's when I know I'm living the best life. Now, of course, that can happen on your holiday, but you're, you're living, what defines my best life is, is living for, uh, for him. So to think of how, what a privilege it is to live the Christian life. On, on Sunday, we'll sing a hymn called... Uh, Ancient words, a song called Ancient Words. And I love I, I loved that song because um, it talks about these, the, the first verse says something like ancient words, long preserved for our walk in this world. Um, these, he's talking about the scriptures. We have these words. And the, 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 the chorus says, ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts, or let the ancient words impart. The, 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 I love the song because we take for granted just what it means that our hearts are shaped by God's word. Not everyone does that. People don't always run away, go somewhere every Sunday to have their word, their life shaped by the word of God. So very, I'm very conscious of the fact that the fact that I think I need to live my life according to God's word is an act of grace, immense grace. And also that a sinner like me, like you, regardless of who I am and what I've done and my failings and my weaknesses and my, my utter sinfulness, 
God's word is there to shape me. That's amazing for me to come. I know I'll be shaped by God's word. So I'm never, I will never be ultimately hopeless. God's word will be there to guide me. Guide me, O oh, thou great Jehovah. So think of the Christian life and the privilege you and I have to be shaped. You know, sometimes, you know, you're tempted to go into a, a, a kind of shoddy business, a business that will cheat. It, it will give you advantage. You get a lot of money from it, but it will cheat other people. And the word of God shapes you. And you say, I can't do that. Um, the, only the Christian life, the Christian life does that. So before you grow tired of, of living this way, ask yourself, what, what other life is there to live? Would I be living? You know, this is it's a privilege to live this life, he says. He says, ask yourself also, how do you get into this life? So when you start, if you start growing tired <clears throat> of the Christian life, you start to feel tired, he says. Um, think about how you got into this life. If I for a second question the greatness of this walk, then I'm spitting on him. And his point is, you got into this life through the sacrifice of the Son of God. Jesus Christ gave his life for you to become a Christian. You know, we sing, there's this song, it's a popular Christian song, they used to say, you came from heaven to earth to show him way. And I was preaching on Sunday from Luke chapter 5, and that, that, that phrase was in my, my head. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He's not like any other man. He came from heaven. And this is how you and I came into the Christian world. On Sunday evening, we had a sermon here from Joseph. Joseph was preaching on John chapter 3 about how you come into the Christian life, about being born from above, about being born again. That's how we came into this. We weren't out here looking for God. The apostle John says in the first chapter of that same gospel, he says, they weren't born according to the will of man. They weren't born by, born by blood, but according to the will of God. That's how I came into this. So I can't grow tired of this, this life. I didn't, I didn't force myself into it. It was it's a gift from above. How can I grow tired of this divine gift? Trace your steps, he says, walk back. You know, you're, you're looking at yourself in this place where you just feel like, oh, I'm just tired, like, is this all it's made out to be? And I'm just not feeling the same excitement. Take, a, take your eyes off yourself for a second. And according to believing God's word, look at what this life you're talking about is. It's not just any ordinary life. It's, it's to be born again. It's a divine gift. God gave it to us. Born again. How did you, how did you and I come to know this, to, to start to live this way? How did we come to start to follow this Jesus? Because God sent his Holy Spirit in our hearts when we didn't deserve it. And he bore witness to us with the word of God that Jesus is Lord. I can't grow tired of that life. The life is an eternal gift. And then he says, also never forget that your life on earth, earth is, a, is a preparatory one. It's, it's one that's preparing you for, uh, for a life to come. Um, so he says, sometimes, basically, we get tired of the Christian life because, you know, we're just in a, we're kind of in a rut. I'm like, this is, it's just... Is this all that life is, is, is going to be? And I'm, I'm struggling to find excitement and so on and so forth. But he says, don't forget, this life is only preparation for the next. It's preparing you for the next one. So, so that way Satan can't convince you to try and give up. Because you know that 
Um, you, you have to start, start looking at the end. What are you aiming to? So sometimes the reason why we, we grow tired is because we're not looking at what we're heading for. We're just looking at this present world. We have to start looking at the world to come. We have a, we have a purpose. We have an aim. We're chasing something. Look at the life to come. I think I quoted this, probably quoted this hymn, was it last week? He said, the, where the hymn writer says, eternal glories beam afar to nerve my faint endeavor. So basically that hymn writer was saying, I'm looking at eternity to energize my weak, energize my, 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 my weak efforts. Let me look at eternity. And if before I grow tired, I look to my, and I say, no, actually, how can I... We have a, have a race, have a charge to keep, right? That's how Jesus Christ, remember, endured the cross, by looking at the joy. And the same thing with us. Well, that's um, some counsel for those of us who feel that we're growing tired. I'm going to close by making a few points by way of uh, just stressing some of the, more, the, key, the key lessons I think we've learned for dealing with times of spiritual lows over the past few weeks. One, sincerity is vital, right? So I, I think one of the helpful things that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is doing when he's teaching, and uh, I want to stress, is just the, the need, the, the helpfulness in being able to be honest and sincere. It's important for us to, to know where we are and be able to say it. And it's so sad that very often, either because we're afraid of what people will say, or also because Christians are so quick to respond with, uh, with judgment, with harshness, we find it hard to be sincere, okay? Um, and, uh, and yet the church is, is meant to be the place, I'll say this, it is meant to be the place where we can be the most sincere about our walk with God. <clears throat> and you know, so the, the picture is of someone who's been in the church for a long time, and now they're starting to feel like they're just not happy just, they're, not, they're not happy. They're just not feeling joyful. Like, I'm just coming to church and it's dry and it's like, I'm not feeling... And they can't say that. They can't confess that. And that shouldn't be the case because, you know, first of all, in the church, you're meant to have your brothers and Christians who love... Brothers and sisters who love you the most, who want the best for you. And who you can be sure... They'll, give, they'll be patient with you and they'll walk with you and they'll support you and they'll pray for you and they believe that uh, all things are possible. Uh, when we believe, and that's the kind of support you should find in the church. And so we must be sincere with ourselves um, and, and, and say, this is, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm feeling, um, I'm struggling. And we must be sincere, and that's vital in dealing with these spiritual laws and asking ourselves why I feel this way, why I've been thinking, what has been present in my heart and mind. But then faith must be put into action. I think that's another big thing, is, is, is Lloyd-Jones's stress on Faith not being just magical. And you know, I was when I was teaching on the victory of faith last week and I was thinking through what Lord George has written, I started to wonder if sometimes our 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 um, understanding, at least practically speaking, maybe not theoretically, but practically speaking, our the way we treat faith, our understanding of faith, is not akin to some of the, the, the nonsense that we see in what's called the words word of faith <coughs> circles. You know, where people treat faith like it's a, it's a charm. You know, um, they just, they say, they just, because I said it in church that I have faith, it's going to work for me type thing. 
rather than realizing that, no, we must be faithful, if you want. We must apply our faith. And Lloyd-Jones says, and so yes, we must be sincere, but we must also call each other to apply faith. What have you believed? Now apply it. Apply it. Fight for it. Strive. That's how faith works. I don't say, oh, but if I'm the one fighting, doesn't that mean it's me and not God? No, the Bible says it's God who works in you to will and to do. But you must work out your faith. Your business is not to understand how those things overlap. Your business is, based on what God's word says, to fight the good fight of faith. Right? So faith must also be put into action. So be sincere with yourself, but choose to believe God's word. Start resisting the lies of Satan. You know, when you feel low and you're starting to say to yourself, maybe the Christian faith is not worth it, start to apply God's truth to you, to your heart, to your mind, and say, Actually, no, um, uh, this, this is destructive thinking. God has, God has not hidden from me that there will be trials and struggles. Um, so faith must be fed. Feed faith. Speak to Christians who can encourage you in the faith. Read the scriptures. And because you must, you must fight the fight by faith if you're in a place of spiritual depression. Um, <clears throat> endurance through suffering produces character. And I put that there because... The point being, very often God allows us, I think, to be in spiritual depression because trials are the ways by which God strengthens our faith. And we must never forget, brothers and sisters, that over and over in the New Testament, the Bible commends to us this um, virtue of enduring, enduring. I know I made this joke about the soft life, but you know, in a, in a, in a, in a culture that constantly throws ease and comfort in our face. It might be that we're not very good at enduring things. Enduring. You know, sometimes Christians remind me of the kind of people who, you know, if you take them to a certain part of the world and, you know, you say to them, ah, in this place, when you, uh, you know, you have to, there's no, electricity is not the way doesn't flow like that. Sometimes electricity is cut off and you might have to use like a lantern to walk around or a candle. Or you say to them, uh, you know, when you want to, if you need water, you have to go to that well over there. JJ knows what I'm talking about. You have to go to that well and you have to get the water from there to get the water. And you start to say, to them, and they, they might just crumble. They just fall apart. Say, whoa, I'm dead. Like I've never, right? They're just soft life. I'm not even going too far. Right? Uh, Christians remind me of that. Like, people, there's a, there, everything is ease. You tell them, oh, you have to take the bus, you know. Ah, there's no Ubers. No, I, I, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. He said I have to get a bus. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and we must, I mean, in, in, the, in, the, in the, yeah, in the physical life, yeah, yeah, if, you're, if you're rich enough, then you might survive that. But there's no one that's rich enough in the spiritual life to be like that. There's a time for enduring. You can't constantly think that you're going to thrive just on highs. And sometimes you have to say to yourself, God has not told me, as my guys, Mary Mary, used to say, nobody told me the road will be easy, right? You have to say that to yourself. God never told me it was going to be easy. It was going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And we have, to, we have to embrace the reality of that, of needing to endure. And lastly, and this is, yeah, this is all important, because I think Lloyd-Jones constantly encourages us to look to Jesus, right? This, all this is about spiritual depression 
is about recovering my gaze on Jesus, or sorry, dealing with spiritual depression. When I'm in a spiritually depression, low place, what I'm saying is, I'm not seeing Christ as I want to. Um, and I, wanna, I want to see him clearly with more clarity. And so yeah, that's ultimately all we're trying to do. Faith is trying to drive you back to Jesus. Christ is compassionate. Christ is King. Christ is Lord. Christ is true. Christ is beautiful. Christ has joy. Christ is merciful. Christ is gentle. Christ is patient. Christ is wise. Whatever thing it is that I found in my life that is bringing me low, it's because it's, I'm not seeing how Christ is all in all. And he really is all in all. You know, and, and what this is about fighting to see that in him. Fighting to see, fighting to see him. Right? Just one, just one, one look, looking at him. Um, we're fighting to have our constant gaze on him. So everything is about being drawn back to the glory of the gospel. Any solutions you find for your spiritual loneliness or depression that is not driving you through and to the gospel of Jesus Christ is a false solution. It will not hold, right? And what we're looking for is to know more and more of this Jesus, more and more of his love, um, because uh, there's no emptiness that that love of Jesus cannot fill. Amen. Okay, so we're going to sing a hymn before we uh, take some questions. And so, well, you can, we are white hymn books, all I have to say. Uh, Sister Jay, you going to lead us in this? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. We're singing to that newer, um, how sweet the name. One second, sorry. It's, One five two. One five two. Who's that? Who's that pianist there in the back? I will stand to sing one five two. Is it one five two? Is is that right?
All right. Have a, a few questions here. Anyone have any questions in the in the building? I'll take those first. If not, I'll just go through the questions I have from the folks online. Okay. Uh, first question is if I feel like my walk, sorry, I feel like my walk has become mundane. How can I renew my zeal for the Lord? I feel like my walk has become mundane. How can I renew my zeal for the Lord? Um, I would say, actually, it depends on what you mean by mundane. Um, I, I don't want it to be that you're saying that there's, you're not on a high. In which case, I would say, you know, sometimes the Christian life is not always a high, so be careful for that. Sometimes it can seem mundane. Um, and what faith must do is not be controlled by feelings. So making sure that's not the case. The feelings will come. But, you know, so here's the point. If I wake up to read my Bible in the morning and it doesn't feel so great, I need to know that why I've still, regardless of how I felt, I've just read the word of the living God. Like, that is God's word. Um, and that is a privilege to be reading that. And so, in that case, I need to prize faithfulness. Like, just keep on being faithful, being with God's people, doing, don't get weary in well-doing. But, that's, so that's one thing. But at the same time, yeah, you might be right then. It might be that this, I think it's mundaneness is the word. If, if the mundaneness is reflective of a spiritual um, decline of some sort, right, that can be the case. Um, and again, one of the ways that you would know that, I imagine, is by um, how much the love of Christ is driving you to love and serve others. That's a really a big thing. Um, how much is it driving you to serve others? So if that zeal has kind of is pittering out, there's no zeal, how could you renew your zeal for the Lord? I mean, one of the things is to, to speak to him, confess to the Lord for it. Now, now, I will say this. When we confess our lack of zeal to the Lord, we confess our feeling to the Lord, and we speak to him, we must also be ready to wait on him. Very often, you know, if, if we haven't seen instantaneous responses or whatever, we feel like the Lord is not hearing us. But you have to wait with him. Trust him. God does hear you. God does respond. So, um, one thing is to confess that to the Lord, confess that state that you're in to the Lord. Um, and, and with the psalmist, pray for, the, for, for, for God's spirit to open your eyes to behold wondrous things for his law. And that means that the other thing that's crucial to do is bring yourself under God's truth. Continue to pay attention to God's word um, and listen to it and receive his word and pray as you receive the word. Whether it's, I mean, primarily through preaching, but also as you read your Bible at home, as you listen to sermons, as you speak to God's people, always be close, just praying for those times, praying for those spirits. Because ultimately, only God can revive that zeal. So, yes, you, you ask a fair question, what can I do? But really, only God can renew zeal. Um, and I think what faith must then believe is this. In all of this, faith must believe that God wants nothing for you, nothing more for you than to grow in zeal. You don't want to grow in your zeal more than God wants you to grow in zeal. He wants you to be closer to him. He wants you to be no more, no more of him. So I'm concerned for you to know that there might be periods, and God does this, where you don't feel as close to the Lord as you ought to. And you must not, make sure you don't read too much into that. That's, well, read the right thing into it anyway. God often uses this sense of distance that we feel 
to, to help teach us how much we need him. So faith must believe that God wants, God wants to renew my soul and, and don't give up easily. Wait on the Lord. Keep waiting on the Lord in the place of prayer and in hearing the truth of his word and praying for God to, uh, to uh, enliven that and, and keep on pursuing faithfulness as well, especially faithfulness towards the people of God. And, and as you wait in that place, there's no doubt God will renew your zeal. God will, will give you a fresh a sense of zeal. Um, if you're serving in church and you're in a state of spiritual depression, would you advise to take a break to revive your spiritual life? If you're serving in church and you're in a state of spiritual depression, would you advise to take a break to revive your spiritual life? Obviously, with a, I guess, a conjunction of your, you and the, the, the church leaders having this conversation between each other, that's a decision you both come to, and you know, a lot of it will rest on how you feel about the situation. So ultimately, no one can fully decide what you should do. You have to do it yourself. But here's what I would say. <clears throat> Especially in the way we've been teaching it, I don't know that it's entirely helpful to always say that Christians, because they're feeling spiritually low, um, should not be engaging in service. I don't think it's very helpful at all. Obviously, there are some, there are some consequences of being spiritually low. There are some, there are, so, so some people are in a spiritually low state and then we find them in like scandalous sin. Some people are in a spiritually low state and so, yeah, they're, 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 they're yeah, in, in that case, <coughs> yes, I don't, I think if a church finds out, they might, they would require, <coughs> especially depending on what you're doing in the church. If I'm in a spiritually low state and so you find that I've been, um, well, I don't, you find me in some scandalous sin. You're not going to say it for me to carry on preaching. Um, <coughs> that position I'm in requires uh, too much responsibility for that. But it's not the case for every situation in the church's life. There are many things that um, <coughs> I think being spiritually low, we can still do. We can still love the Lord in a spiritually low state. So... Um, <coughs> Are bad. So no, not necessarily. Speak to your church leaders. Um, Mary, you're adding a question, and I feel like you're, you're joking me. <coughs> I can't believe this has happened to me a second time. Um...
Yeah, so I was saying to that person, I don't think so. I think it depends on what your case of spiritual loneliness is. So speak to your church leader. Um, let them give you counsel. Um, because really and truly, you don't want to be communicating the idea that you feel like um, <coughs> your sense of worth is found outside Christ. Next question is, after facing some church hurt, I'm growing wary of trusting Christians in the church. How can I practically improve my trust for the saints? You know, I kind of feel like, okay, I don't want to be too harsh. I kind of feel like you need to know you're not better than the saints, you know, like really. But that might be overstating the case. But just make sure you know that you're not better than these people that you're struggling to trust. Just in case you're thinking, I can't trust them. Um, but can we trust you, you know? Like, you're, you're usually no better than those folks. That's one. So the same way you'd want people to give you a second chance, all that stuff, make sure you're willing to give people a second chance. But I'm, 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 I'm wary because, obviously, yeah, there are some times that a group of people who call themselves Christians should not be, you know, are, are really engaged in very dangerous practices that shouldn't be encouraged. I'm not saying that. That, that does happen. <clears throat> and in those situations, you want to get out of there. But if... It's, you know, these are people that you know, know the Lord, they love the Lord, and they failed you. A couple of things, yeah. The awareness that I'm no better than them. Very often pride is what doesn't allow us to, to risk trusting again. Another thing is the cross of Jesus. The one thing that must move all of us, never to be maintain relationships of unforgiveness, is the words of Jesus Christ. God won't answer your prayers for forgiveness if you don't forgive others. So make sure that your failure to trust these saints is not an act of unforgiveness because <coughs> you've needed to be forgiven as well. <coughs> um, yeah, so practically speaking, <coughs> practically speaking, depending on the reason, take your time, practically. What I'm saying is your mind has to be in the right place. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. I know better than them. Has to be in the right place. When your mind is in the right place, <clears throat> take your time. I'm not saying that everything is going to be solved in a minute. Take your time. Let people who you think of, if people have failed you in a significant way, yes, there's a place for people to have to earn trust back. Not denying that. Um, <clears throat> take it slowly, but go slowly. Go. Don't stop. Go. That's the thing. Another thing, practically speaking, go. Um, see where you can have conversations with Christians. Hopefully they have the maturity. If they've let you down, they've failed you. Can you have conversations with them? Can you sit down? Can you discuss these things? Maybe not in one go, it would fix it. But two, three, four, can you do that? Can you go to church with them and still be with them? <clears throat> and okay, I'm not ready. The way things have gone, we're not ready to, to start discussing my life goals again. But you know, we can still, we can still start with smaller things. Um, and especially we can, we can still talk about the gospel. So, yeah, <clears throat> practically I would say, yeah, go slowly, take your time, but um, seek to be with God's people as well, you know, seek to be with them. But I think the, the bigger thing is, is the mindset. The mindset is important. Have the right mindset. And also, <clears throat> can you find Christians who you can, especially your church leaders, who can sympathize with you, who can help you, who can counsel you. 
and encourage you in what you've been through? Can you find those kind of people? You know, because very often, you know, maybe someone is a group of Christians or someone who's let us down and we become very narrow. And, you know, sometimes we just need to speak to another Christian who can encourage us and say, listen, you know, and encourage us not to have a, a dark, kind of a dark opinion of everybody. Um, but yeah, you know, after facing some church hurt, <clears throat> and that's going to be all of us. We're all going to be hurt by the church in some way. You know, some of us have been hurt with the church. We don't even know it, right? It happened because we're really sinners. We're broken. And when I think back of the amount of things I've said in my life, I've been in this church for 10 years or so, and I've come here almost every single week. That's loads of hours. Too many hours I've had to just say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And not even just in, like, private conversation from there. Do you know what I'm saying? So... Uh, when I think of that, the amount of things I've done to contribute to church hurt in some way, um, I'm not saying that we don't fix, you know, we have to fix it. If we can, we restitute, we repent, we confess, we seek people's forgiveness. Um, but yeah, I'm just saying, I, you know, if I experience church hurt, who am I to, 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 to speak about cutting Christians off when I, I wouldn't want anyone to cut me off? I would want grace. So that same grace that you would want, you must extend to your brothers and sisters. <clears throat> and don't grow tired of it. Okay, now let me say this as well. As I said, the mindset, because this might not sound practical, it's practical to you, but the mindset is so important. Who are these people? They are more than the hurt they cause you. They're more than their... They are the people of God. Like, they are really God's bride. This is God's house. Let's say the church hurt you so bad, so you stop going to the church. And Sundays, you started spending it at the pub. I'm not saying you're sinning or anything. You're just at the pub. That's where you spend Sundays now because church hurt you so much. You will never taste God's presence in that place like you will in the church. God don't promise. He doesn't promise you revelation in the pub. He doesn't promise comfort in the pub. No, it's in his house. It's in this. this is the place. How can I abandon this place? How pleased and blessed was I, right, <clears throat> to, 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 to go and worship with God's people. This is, the, this is the place to be, you know, so uh, how can you help the, your, that weariness? Revive, pray for the Holy Spirit to revive you, give you a fresh conviction of um, uh, the church and its, it's, it's, it's beauty, its wonder. You and I are the privileged ones to be here. Never forget. Whatever church you go to right now, if it's God's church, don't care what it's called, what the denomination is, is a privilege for you to be there. I don't care who you are in the church, pastor, usher, singer, you're the one that's privileged to belong to those people and I don't care what they're like, right? If they're God's people, if they're God's church, you're the one that's ultimately privileged to be there. You can't forget that. Um, so yeah. And one more thing I'll say as well is, <clears throat> sometimes, remember the good times as well. You know, it's easy to remember the bad things that Christians do to you. Don't forget these people that hurt you. Maybe many times they've blessed you as well. If I was to count the amount of the blessings that I've had from God's people compared to the, 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 the pain, it dwarf, you know, the acts of generosity, love, kindness, um, affirmation, the, the patience, the support, all of those things that Christians give each other. Remember that as well, <clears throat> so that you know that even though these guys are fallen and broken, God is really working through them. Last one. Oh, I was not. I constantly fail to see anything good in this life <clears throat> and wish for eternity to come with haste. How do I see life as a gift and enjoy Christ now? 
I constantly fail to see anything good in this life and wish for eternity to come with haste. How do I see life as a gift and enjoy Christ now? Hmm. <clears throat> Maybe one thing to know is that your view, your view is wrong, right? Because you might have a, you might kind of, you might uh, romanticize this view and make it seem like something pious. It's not, it's not of the Lord to think that way. There is a sense, it is of the Lord for us to have a sense of the brokenness of this world. Sometimes we pause and we see the wars, we see the, the brokenness, the oppression, without and within, and we, 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 have, we tire of this world. There's a right way to do that. But to constantly fail to see anything good in this life is not of the Lord. So important to know that. That way you can come in repentance to say, what does God have, what, where has my vision of, of, of things been impaired? What, what have I missed about the scripture's teaching? Because it could be a doctrinal thing. <clears throat> You should wish for eternity to come with haste, but it doesn't mean that you don't see good. Now, here's why. Because the God, or, or what do you want in eternity? Do you simply want the state of eternity, or do you not want the God himself? Okay? We don't simply, when Christians long for eternity, we're not simply longing from a state that is free from sorrow and tears and pain. I'm longing for that. We are. But it's not simply that. We have to be longing for God himself. Now, the God who brings eternity and so who is greater than the eternity that we long to be in is with us now. So how can I not see good anything in this life when I know God is here? So another thing you have to remember, who am I looking for in eternity? I'm looking for Jesus. Well, Jesus is here now. He's with us now. Obviously, we'll see him with clearer sight, but we, he's with us now. And if Jesus is, as one hymn says, the joy of loving hearts, if Jesus is our joy, <clears throat> and we know he's with us now, we'll see something good in this life because we see the hand of Jesus. Um, so is something wrong there with your theology? And maybe that's what you need to realize is reckon with the, what the Bible teaches about how Jesus is with his church today, how Jesus is in our presence. Think about the Lord's Supper where we feast on the, the body and blood of, of, of our Lord Jesus and, and we receive him by faith. Paul says this, this is the cup of, of, of communion with Jesus Christ. We're in fellowship with him, right? Um, <clears throat> and you must, you, must, you must reckon with that. Jesus is very present. Um, and, and, and if you love that Jesus, remember that he's put you in this, he's left us here on this earth with a purpose. If you want to see him crowned, the Bible says he will reign, he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. If you love Jesus, and you know, we sing of him, all glory be to Christ. If you and I want all glory be to Christ, all glory to be to Christ, and we love him so sincerely, so deeply. Remember that part of the ways that Christ is going to arrive in the fullness of his glory, as God will have it, is through our efforts in this life. Okay, and so <clears throat> life is a gift for that reason alone, for us, because we know that we have a work to do. We are, what, what, how, how would you say, uh, what job are we doing? We are, we, we are well, we're simply just like, we're, 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 we're kind of digging sand and building the floor, the, the floor that Christ is finally going to sit on, build his throne on. But it's still a job nonetheless. That's what we're doing. We're there with our shovels and we're, we're digging stand. But we can't wait. We have a lot of it to do. And that's a gift. If that's what this life is like compared to eternity, just digging sand, it's still a gift. So remember that, um, that life is a gift because of the opportunity you have to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, what does I'm not in your... 
What does not in your own strength actually mean? I feel like it takes away from all the hard work it takes to trust God over him. <clears throat> what does I'm not in your own strength actually mean? I feel like it takes away from all the hard work it takes to trust God over him. I'm actually, I don't understand. Mary, are you going to give me some clarity? No? I don't know if Mary's looking at me or if she's... Right, right, right. Um, and that's why I gave examples. Like I said, for example, the person who's not praying, you're not, you're not bringing things to God in prayer. You're not drawing from God's strength. Um, so if you think that praying to God to give you grace to deal with a situation, so, so here's the point. There's someone who has hurt you so badly and you know you need to go and reconcile with them. I need to go and speak to them about this situation. Naturally speaking, <clears throat> as a person, maybe you're bitter, you don't like awkward situations, this conversation is going to be awkward, right? You go on your knees and you pray, Lord, give me the strength. When you say that prayer, what you're not going to do is, in Jesus' name, amen, sit down and wait for God to lift you there. No. You're still going to have to take up your phone, message the person, oh, can we meet at some point to talk? You're still going to go through the anticipation of like, ah, oh, we're meeting tomorrow. You're still going to have to get to that place and try and make sure that you're respectful and use the right tone and so on. <clears throat> so yes, you, you're going to be, but you know that when all is said and done, when you've gone there and you've had that conversation, you're going to look back and you say, wow, it was by God's grace that I did all of that. It's by God's grace. Now, as I said, it's not our business to explain the overlap, how these things are intertwined. And we, we can't explain, there's a, there's a mystery there. Um, but we know for a fact that Christians know what it is like to be strengthened by the Lord. Right, to, you know, as a Christian, you know what it's like to have felt like you can't do something in your own strength. You feel weak, it's not your character, it's not your natural temperament to do something. And then God gives you the grace to do it. Um, and yes, it takes a lot of hard work to trust God. But let's say, and I, let's say I agree with you, it takes a lot of hard work to trust God. It takes a lot of thinking. It takes a lot of <clears throat> resisting. You say, no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to fight to trust God. And you, you do all of that with your own strength and you sweat. Just trust God. And you trust God through a situation. And when, when, let's say, you come out on the other side, when you look back and your friends tell you, how did you do that? You won't tell them, I, I had so much strength. No. If you're a person who has understanding, you're going to say, God gave me the grace to trust him. It was hard. It was tasking. It took so much out of me. But God is the one that gave me the strength. And I don't even deserve one one round of, one, one clap, I don't deserve one, one bit of praise, is to God alone be the glory. Even though I was struggling, and I, I, listen, trust me, I put in all the work, it seemed, 
but it wasn't me. That's what Paul says. I worked so abundantly, but it's not me. It's the grace of God. And we must, we must acknowledge that those parallels. Don't disturb them. The thing that is important the most, that when all is said and done, so work as hard as you can, and when all is said and done, realize it wasn't you. It was God. And so to him be the glory. Okay. <clears throat> we made it. Thank you guys for all the questions. Thank you for tuning in. And yeah, and I hope you've just been blessed by the series. As I said, next one is on the 15th of March. So we don't have Bible study for the next two weeks. And flyers will go out for that series, uh, God willing, very soon. Um, and look forward to meeting with you again then. Let me close uh, in prayer. Our gracious God and Lord, we thank you for uh, your word tonight. Thank you for this time we've spent over this past few weeks. And Lord, we believe that this is simply a reflection of the fact that you, our Father, care for us. And you care for this area of our lives where we often feel perplexed, where we often feel weak. We can trust you to guide, to support, to empower. So please be with us, Lord, as we come to a, a close in this series. And some of us are looking to, we're just desiring to grow in our joy and to love the Lord as we ought to. And we pray, Lord, that you'd come to us, open our eyes and open our hearts and strengthen faith. Help us indeed to, first of all, make that conclusion that there is no joy outside of Jesus and that our, our joy can alone be found in him and then stir up faith to pursue Jesus. And Lord, I know that when we cry out to you, you will answer. So cry, hear your people, hear them as they cry. Lead us to the right, um, in the right way. Help us to use our energy in the right way. And ultimately, Lord, help us to find you and to rest in you and to rejoice in you, Lord, and to be overwhelmed by the love of Christ for sinners. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.